Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, of thy Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Greetings. We are gathered here today in His name, His people, His field, His vineyard. And God calls His people to be fruitful. Everybody say fruitful. Filling the world with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against, the Bible says... There's no law. Amen. Amen? Aren't you glad there's no law against love in the United States of America? No law against peace? Uh, these are not things you can break the law in doing. There's something that God gives us that we can do. Every good and perfect gift like this comes from God and God alone. We can have man-made uh, impersonations of these things, but we want to have the real things from God. We grow his gifts also in this glorious garden, which is the church. But there is one thing that must grow in our gardens before all other things. That one thing, that primary thing, is love. Our prayer today is that God would teach us how to make our gardens grow. Amen? Our call to worship comes from Psalm 143, where the psalmist cried out to the Lord and said this. He said, Hear my prayer. O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness, answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me, and my heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old, and I meditate on all thy works. I muse on all the works of thy hands, O Lord. I stretch forth my hands unto thee, and my soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Hear me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. For in thee do I trust, because... Cause me to know thy ways wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee. Lord, hide me. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God, and your spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake, for thy righteousness' sake, and bring my soul 
out of trouble. And thy mercy, Lord, cut off my enemies and destroy them that afflict my soul. For I, I am thy servant. Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful and honored to be invited into your presence when we know that we do not belong here. Lord, without your spirit calling us and preparing us and changing us, Lord, we cannot even be in your presence. But Lord, we come before you today knowing that the sins that we have committed this week, that you can forgive them. Lord, we come today knowing that the hungering and thirsting that our soul longs for, that you will fill it, that you will feed us from heaven today. And we pray that you would change us to make us more like you. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, you guys are standing up and I'm getting ready to preach you guys are zoned in everybody look at me everybody look at me I have something to share for you today that should and could completely change your life all right and sometimes I like to sort of weave it into the message and preach on it and sort of let it soak in but so many of you get distracted by children get distracted by sleepiness or whatever that you miss what it is that God would have to say to you so I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you all right you guys ready for this okay five a five minute synopsis of what i want god that god's going to say to you and if you want to hear it from the lord's word stay awake try not to be distracted but i want you to hear this okay everybody say love vines okay we're going to be talking about a passage from john chapter 15 where jesus tells them that if we abide in him if we live in him okay we're going to produce fruit. And I'm telling you, I believe that many of us look at our lives, look at the lives of our children, and we say, how can we produce this fruit in them? And we work at it. And I'm telling you that that work is in vain. It's as in vain as trying to make your children have faith. That comes from God. And what I believe that we need to try to think of and try to get in our mind is that if we are not driving our children and ourselves and understanding that we need to abide in Christ, we need to live loving Him. That is where these things come from. Do you understand what I'm saying? They don't come because we work at them. They, they can't come that way. No matter how much we work on character development, no matter how much we work on improvement or stopping sin, it doesn't work. The only true fruit that comes that's good and godly abiding fruit only comes from God. And when we drive and when we, we become results oriented and we say, this is how you do it, this is how you do it, we miss out. The best thing we can do with the character of our children is note that they don't have it. And say, you know what you need? You need to be on your knees before the Lord. You need to be asking God to fill you with His Spirit. You need to be spending time talking to God and asking Him for it because that's the only way we're going to bear fruit. Does that make sense? Because I think sometimes we've focused on can we get this behavior? Can we get this good thing? Can we be this? You can't be it. You can't teach it. You cannot pass this on to your children. The only real thing, the only abiding thing that is worth anything comes 
from God without any effort of our own, but seeking God. Does that make sense? So I'm going to get into it. I'm going to take you to the word. We're going to look at it. But please, if you have to pass out and fall asleep and you want to, you want to know, come and ask me later. I don't want you to miss this. Okay. So let me read my text and we'll pray. John chapter 15, starting in verse one, verses one through five. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean or you are purged. You are pruned through the word which I spoke to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot. Everybody say cannot. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can you except you abide in me i am the vine you are the branches he that abideth in me and i in him the same bringeth forth much fruit say much fruit for without me you can do nothing let us pray heavenly father we come to this passage which we know that jesus shared with his disciples At this critical moment on the last few hours that he had with them. He wanted them to remember it as we heard from John chapter 3. He repeated, this is what he told us from the beginning. Lord, may it be our start. May it be our guiding mantra of our life that we become vines, Lord, that bear much fruit. And that fruit first and foremost, may it be love. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said amen. All right, you may be seated. Today we're going to talk about four things. The vineyard, the individual plants, the husbandman, and the fruit. Okay, now you can say these four things with me. The vineyard, the individual plants, the husbandman, and the fruit. All right, my sermon today, as I've told you, is called Love vines you can grow grape vines out in your yard if you want but what we're growing here in the church of the lord jesus christ are love vines amen that's what downies want their kids to be love vines that's what pastor mark wants the saints of found church to be love vines that's what we should be growing now there's other things that can grow in our vineyard and that's great but the bible teaches us that if that doesn't grow there all the other stuff as good as it is isn't worth a whole lot. You can have joy growing in there. You can have peace growing in there. But if you don't have love in there, none of it means anything. Okay? So we'll get to that. Now I'm calling it because love is the fruit that Jesus talks about here in John. It's what he goes. He only talks about one of the fruits. All right? It seems to me that scripture teaches that love is the gateway fruit of the spirit. Now I've never heard anybody say that, but... But you know how we talk about so-and-so is the gateway drug to whatever. Love is a gateway fruit that you have to have first before you have other things. And I will show you where the Bible teaches this. It defines all of these other things. Brother Andy was reading for us out of 1 John. He said, we know that we've passed from death unto life because we have what? 
Because we have love. Because we love the brethren. It also tells us because we obey the commandments. It also tells us because we'll pray and we get what we've asked for. All of these things are good, but if, if you don't have love, you really don't have anything at all. And some of you might go, I might not have love and I need to learn how to love. No, you're not going to learn how to love. This isn't a lesson on how to love your brother this week. This is a lesson on how to get God to grow love in your heart so that you can love your brother. So that you can love your wife. So that you can love your fellow uh, member in the church. It's the only way it happens. We can have a conference on how to, be, how to have a really neat church and how to get into each other's lives. And You know what? If you don't love God, it isn't going to happen. And whatever method you've got for making that happen isn't going to work. Without love, all other fruit is out of context. Remember how Paul ended 1 Corinthians 13? He said, now abides faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest. It is the primary fruit of the Spirit. As Paul poetically prophesied about this splendid fruit that issues forth from the new creation, he explained that many of other things that are glorious... Other fruits and gifts are without love. They are meaningless. Now, I didn't realize this before. I memorized 1 Corinthians 13 with everybody else in the church or throughout my life more than once. But I didn't realize that what the apostle was doing is he was listing the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Luke, he was listing them both. If you go through it, and we will read through it here in just a minute, you'll see that it's listing these gifts. And then when it's done lifting, listing the gifts, it's listing love in relation to the fruit. Okay, do you guys know the difference between the love and the, the fruit and the gifts? The gifts are things like faith, uh, like prophecy, right? All of these are good things. Prophecy, the Bible says, is the best gift, right? It's the best of the gifts. But, you, but even prophecy is no good without the fruit. Fruit comes before gifts. I don't understand why, but it is true. Okay? You can prophesy and be a hard-nosed, tough guy... But if you don't have love, you're going to hurt people with your gift. You can even be a guy who's so giving that he's willing to give his own body to be burned. But the Bible says if you do that but you don't love, then what? Then you haven't really done anything. So it goes through this and it lists joy and patience and all these things. And it's explaining that love is the reason why we're patient. Love is the reason why we're joyful. Love is the reason why we have peace. So can you see where love is the primary thing? I'll go through it. We heard in our New Testament reading today, which I was going to, but I, I changed it since I'm going to cover it here. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity or love, I become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. See how he's saying tongues is a good thing. It's a fine thing, right? He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. We know in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, we're to desire the best spiritual gifts. And he lists what the very best one is. And that's prophecy. Why? Because it's a, speaking the word of God. That's a beautiful thing. But what does Paul also say? We are to speak the truth. How? In love. You can speak the truth to people. You know what this is like. You can say true things to your wife, Steve. But there's a way to do it. Right? There's a way to tell her what's right. You know, Luke and I had a breakfast recently. We're spending time together. And I can be, I can tell you the truth. But if I love you and I tell you the truth, it's a whole nother thing. When you love somebody, you can speak truth into their life. And they're not hearing it as criticism. But what are they hearing it as? They're hearing it as a plea of what? 
of love. So if, you, so if I don't love Luke, no matter what I say to Luke, isn't going to matter. But when I love Luke, I can probably even say the wrong things and still do all right. Because in the end, he goes, well, you know what? I, I know Pastor Mark loves me. Even though he got this, this, and this wrong, he loves me. Right? Doesn't this ever happen with your kids, you know? I felt somewhat like a, a failure as a parent because I can't produce certain things in my children. But you know something, there is something that's growing at my house. Is love. And my kids don't like it when I complain about them, but they drive me crazy because they're little heathens. Some of them are big heathens. But there is love growing at my house. I'd like some other stuff to grow there too. (laughs) Maybe we'll get to that. But I am thankful that my children love their dad, love their mom. They love God. They love you. I'm thankful for that. You know, you might feel like a failure. Maybe your kids don't memorize the scriptures every week. And and, and maybe they're not good with their catechism. And maybe they're the worst, you know, maybe they're the best homeschooled kids in in, in the church. But you say, what's growing in there? Is, Is love growing at my house? And I'm not saying that to say, oh, I got it right. They're growing. There is some love growing at my house. More love could grow there. Tongues, prophecy, understanding, and faith are wonderful, but without love, they accomplish nothing. And it says this over and over. I have nothing. I've done nothing. There's nothing going on. There's nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay? Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give me my body to be burned. You would think it would be something to be that giving, right? Right, Heath? If you were giving all your goods to feed the poor, and you even gave your body to be burned, that would be something. And you know what he says? It's It's nothing. I have nothing. It profits me nothing. The gift of giving, extreme giving, even martyrdom are tremendous, but without love they have no value at all. If you remember this method of comparison is one that Jesus used more than once. He wasn't saying prophecy is worthless. He's not saying joy and peace are no good. But he did tell them, he used this, exp- this comparison. He said, unless you hate your mother and your father and your brothers and sisters, then you're, you, you can't even come into the kingdom of God. What was he saying? Was he really telling us that, to hate our parents? Or was he saying that our love for God maybe must be such a primary way in our lives that the love that we have for God will make the love we have for everything else look like hate? What is he saying? That's what he's saying. God wants us to love our brothers. He wants us to love our mom and dad. God is not wanting there to be no joy and no peace. It's not that He doesn't want there to be uh, the gifts of the Spirit, faith and of giving. It's not that He doesn't want it. He's trying to explain that as great as those things may seem to us to be. Because someone will say, well, you know, they're not very loving. They're not very kind. They don't seem to care about people, but you know they're very giving. So what? So what? So what if they're giving? So what if they're talented? So what if they're gifted? God says that if you have all of this and you don't have love, it profits you nothing. You've done nothing. Paul is not saying the wonderful gifts of the Spirit are not incredible. They're not beautiful. He's saying that without love first, love foremost. They are nothing. They profit nothing. They are pointless. Verse 4, charity suffers long. Right? What's one, of the, what's one of the fruit? Long, long suffering. 
Charity is kind, right? That's one of the fruit of the spirits, being kind. Humility, right? He says charity envies not. Do you see how he's comparing the fruit of the spirit, the other fruits with love, and he's showing the gifts with love. Do you see this? This whole chapter is contrasting love with all of the gifts and all of the fruit. And he's saying none of them are worth a thing without love. Charity envies not. Charity not, does not vaunt itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. What are these? These are in comparisons to what? To the fruit of the Spirit here. Gentleness, meekness, kindness, patience, long-suffering, self-control are great things indeed, but without love they are no great things at all. Love is the primary thing, the first thing, the first fruit we should desire above all other things. Love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Do you see this? It's saying that the source of our hope, the source of our peace, the source of our long-suffering, the source of our patience is what? It's in our love. If you have love, if you love Laura Downey, you will be what? You will be patient with her. If you love Laura Downey, you will be what? You will be long-suffering with her. Why will you be it? You will be it because you love her. You can say, uh, I need to learn how to be more patient. No, you don't. You need to ask God to give you more love. You need to say, Lord, I want love. And you know what He will say to you? He will say, abide in me. Get down on your knees and talk to me. Spend time with me. Spend time in my word. Study my word. You don't need to spend your life in endless distractions and, and, and good deeds and things that we do. How many of us are spending our time saying, God, I want to abide in you. I want to talk to you. I want you to talk to me. You know, we become Presbyterian and we may have forgotten our passion and our love for God. And if you have, you will be fruitless and devoid of love yourself. You'll not have love to give anybody else because it won't be growing in the vineyard of your life. In the vineyard of my life. Hope, joy, godly courage. He goes on to say that all other gifts and fruits will fail. They will spoil, but not love. It abides. Everybody say, it abides. I love the fact that he uses the word abides. Because this is what Jesus is going to say. If you abide in me, and I abide in you, you know what's going to happen? Love's going to abide in you. It's going to come from you. You're going to bear fruit. Not just a little, but a lot. We try to go backwards, you know. We try to learn how to love. We need to say, you should be joyful. Instead of saying, you know what, I think you need to spend some time with God. We say, you shouldn't complain and and you should be this. And and we should be saying, I think you need some time with the Lord. I think you need to say, I need to spend some time with God. God. You know, our busyness and all of our accomplishments are not a lot. They will fail, they will spoil, they will ruin. But if we take time with God. You know, we want to spend time with our families, right? Jesus said we should abide with Him. Jesus wants first and foremost for us to be love vines. Everybody say love vines. And see, from that love will come joy, peace. Long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Bring on the gifts of the Spirit, O Lord, all of them. But without love, we shouldn't want any of them. 
All right, let's go to John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Now the word vine here, you know, sometimes the translation gets in the way and this, this, this is one of those times. The word vine here is vineyard. Okay? Because when I think of a grape, where do, you, where, where do you pull the grapes from? You pull them from the vines, right? So if he says, I'm the vine, and then later it tells us where the vines, it's a little confusing. But it really, if you look it up, the word means vineyard. Jesus is saying, I am the vineyard, right? And you are the individual plants. The Father is the gardener. All right? If we were talking about a tree here, Jesus would say, I'm the trunk. And you are the branches, right? Here the church, the whole body of Christ is the vineyard, each member a plant in the vineyard. God is the gardener. He is the husbandman. Every branch in me, verse 2, it says, every branch in me bears not fruit, he takes away. When I was young, this was used to scare us. You need to be fruitful. And if you're not, God's going to come in and he's going to cut off the branches and men are going to take them to the fires of hell. Bear fruit! I mean, you, you didn't go to the church like I went to go to church, but that, that's what happened in my church. Some of you are out here and you're not bearing fruit and you need to bear fruit. Well, come on, guys. Who can bear fruit on your own? Nobody. And that's what Jesus teaches here. He says you can't bear fruit. You don't have the power to bear fruit. You don't have the power to prune yourself. You don't have the power to clean up your garden. You don't have the power to plow your soil. You are powerless before God. And he says, listen, you're wanting to do all this work. Instead of doing all this work, why don't you just spend time with me? And let me do the work. That's not what we want to do, Steve. We want to do the other. We want to make sure they're schooled and they memorize their scriptures and that their character is right. And and God is saying, you know, I can take care of all that stuff with them if you just teach them to love me and talk to me and spend time with me because I am the gardener. I am the sap in them. I am the one that brings forth the fruit. I was reading little Liam a book yesterday. How many of you have ever read Frog and Toad? Do you guys know the one where Frog gets some seeds and he puts them out there and he plants the seeds and he goes, Grow! You guys, you guys ever seen this one? And he goes, they're not growing. And Toad comes and says, well, they're, they're, you're scared. Okay? And he's like, okay, okay. And he's like, well, maybe they'll want some music. And I think he plays music. He reads them a story. It gets dark. And he goes, he goes out and looks. They're not growing. He goes, well, they're probably scared of the dark. So he plays music, reads stories. And after a few days, guess what happens, Benita? They grow. And he goes, you know what? That's what they needed. They needed me to sing to them. And they needed me to read to them. And they needed me to play for them. And they needed to be daylight. And after that, look. Look what I did. Look at them grow. And I'm telling you, folks. That's, that's about our role in the whole thing. We think our singing and our reading and our playing. We think it's all going to make them grow. It's not going to make them grow. They don't grow because of that. They grow because of the sun that God sends. Amen. They grow because of what comes from the soil. They grow because they've gone into the ground and died. God is at work in the vineyard. Stewarding it, caring for it, pruning it, cutting it back. Where dead branches are taking up space, He removes them. He cuts away the dead. He cuts away the living that are not bearing fruit. God does some things in our life that don't make sense, that are painful to us. But why does He do it? The Bible says all things work together for them that love Him, right? And the call according to his purpose. God is pruning us. 
as a church. He's pruning us as individuals. He's cutting us. This might seem like it doesn't go with what Jesus says next here. He says, he says this in verse 3. I've already told you what it means. Verse 3 sounds like a verse all by itself, Luke, that doesn't even belong there. Josh, he just says right out of the blue, he's talking to the vine about the vineyard. He says, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. But thank God we have the Hebrew and the Greek and the commentary. So you can read. He's saying, you're pruned. You don't, live, you don't have a messy garden on, on, on account of, I've cleaned you up. I've done it for you. Verse 3, now you are clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. When we hear the word of God as vines in God's vineyard, his words bring about constant change and constant improvement in our lives. The life of the believer is one of constant change and improvement, but this is not done through our effort. This is the work of God himself. He is the husbandman. We think we're the husband. When we walk through, we do self-examination. We think about ourselves. I'm not producing fruit. You know what I need to do? I need to, I need to, you know, it's like from our memorization. I need to beat up my flesh and I need to do this and I need to do that. And once I do this, it's all going to get better. He's saying, no, I do this work. How about you skip the work and why don't you just come to me? Why don't you just talk to me? Why don't you just abide in me? It's not done through our effort. It's the work of God. He is the gardener. He knows what we need to be fruitful. A theological term for this word is called sanctification. God is taking us as we are and making us better. He is making us healthier. And in the end, he is making us what? Fruitful. That's the whole point. You know, the fruit is the whole point, right? That's what gardeners are working toward, right? I love the straight rows. I hate weeds. I like everything in its place. But as good as all these things are, there's no point to a garden if it's not fruitful. Fruit is the ultimate goal. Now, you know what? I wrote a little poem. I didn't mean to. I started writing it and I realized this kind of rhymes and so I made it into a poem. You guys ready for a poem from Pastor Mark? Ready? Though all my tools are sharpened, though every weed has bowed. You like that one? Every weed Every knee shall bow. Do you guys get it? Okay. Though, though all my tools are sharpened, though every weed has bowed, though I walk day after day through row after row, making sure it is properly plowed, though my gardening gloves are right where I left them and admirers show up by the crowd, if in my garden I find no fruit, I'd be a fool to find myself proud. You can have a garden that looks good, right? You ever drive past the garden and, and you look and you're like, man, that's pretty sweet. Look at that. You can see the black dirt between the rows. You don't see weeds. You see it there and you're just like, wow. You, how many people, come on. And you go, I hate those people because that's not what my garden looks like, right? And they're like, these people. And then you start talking bad about them. They probably don't have anything to do. I'm busy, right? But the point of, of a garden isn't that it's pretty. That it's marked out right. That it's all... The point is what? Is the fruit. If there is no fruit, the whole enterprise is pointless. Jesus continues his lesson in verse 4. He says, abide in me. Everybody say, abide in me. And I in you. 
And then he reminds them again. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I have a pear tree out there and if I cut off a branch, you know what's never going to happen to that branch? There'll never be a pear on it, ever. It needs the sap that comes through the trunk and comes to the branch and comes out into the leaves to have what? To have fruit. We abide in Him. He is the vineyard. We are the individual plants. And that power of growth of the fruit comes from Him. We can see a pattern that we need to be more mindful of. We are helpless as a garden. We are not good gardeners. We did not plant ourselves. We do not care for ourselves. Here in verse 4, the very fruit that comes from us does not have its source in us. Andy, this could make us desperate. He tells us that we have to have it, but we can't have it. We don't know how to do it. We can't make it come to pass. And Jesus says, that's right. But I can. Why don't you not worry so much about the gardening and start thinking about the husbandman of the garden? Why don't you stop worrying about the fruit and start focusing on the sap that comes from God? The sap of life that brings life and fruit does not spring up from us. It comes from Christ within us. He is our life. It says, in Him was light and light was the life of men in John 1. On our own, our constant improvement, our fruit all have their source in God and not in human wisdom and effort. But the problem is is that we don't believe this. We think that if we're hardworking or others are hardworking, that we will bear fruit. That's what we believe. And, and, we, and we look down on other people. What's wrong with them? Instead of going, you know what? You know what they need? They need Jesus. We think they need improvement. We think they need help. We think they need to be convinced of something. No, they don't. They need Jesus. That's what they need. Just what you need. And you need more every single day. We think that if we are persistent, we will outsmart the bugs. Jesus says, not so. Abide in me. The Father weeds, He prunes, He deals with the bugs. The life of Jesus produces the fruit. And yet we spend so much effort, so much time, so much emotion on what we cannot do. And it should frustrate us to the point of desperation. And in the end, when we're desperate, you know what we should do? We should go, oh God... Lord, I've been trying to get love to grow at my house. Lord, I've been trying to get love to grow in my life. And Lord, it isn't there. I don't need to read a book on love. I don't need to have a talk with someone about love. Well, you do. But it's the one who love comes from. That's where love comes. Talk to Him. Abide with Him. As I get older, I come to understand that God's Word... Better, it's been a long time coming for me. I think that I'm starting to understand what it means to abide in God. You know, I think I know why people get liberal. When you, when, when you read the scriptures, and this is what, these guys get liberal reading the Bible. Because they, they read it and they're like, you know what? This stuff doesn't come from me. And then instead of going to God, they just give up. 
They're like, there's no way to get this. There's nothing I can do. They, they get fatalistic about the whole thing. And they miss the fact. There's no, yes, we should, it should all bring us to the point of desperation. Of, of going, I can't forgive my own sins. I can't fix myself. I can't live better. I can't be a good husband. I can't be a good wife. I can't honor my parents. Oh God. And instead of getting desperate and just being done, we should get desperate and it should draw us where? To our knees in prayer to God. At Presbytery, Brother Brenio preached a message that really was true. He said, the reason why we don't honor the Lord on the Sabbath is because we don't really want to. We'd rather find something else to do. Now, I'm not here to preach puritanical Sabbatarianism of just somehow that's some kind of a formula for a more holy life. But the point he was making is that if your soul longed to be with the Lord on the Sabbath, guess what you'd be doing on the Sabbath? You'd be longing to be with the Lord. You'd love to sing a few songs and read the scriptures and you'd be glad for a break from all the other things in the world. But the reason we don't is because we don't want to. All of the commands of God would be obeyed if we had the fruit of love. The Bible says all of the commands are fulfilled. All the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt what? Love thy neighbor. If love is growing in your heart, you're not going to steal from him. If love's growing in your heart, you're not going to want what he has and covet it, right? You're not going to lie and, and go into court and say he did what he didn't do. If you love him, you couldn't bear it. You couldn't bear to see him go to jail for you. You couldn't bear to take away his stuff because you love him. To abide in Him is to be totally God-focused, God-immersed, living our lives before the face of God every day. Now, we talk about kingdom-mindedness, and, and kingdom-mindedness should come from the love of God. You can be kingdom-minded and have nothing to do with the love of God. You're like, I like the idea. Let's trample all over the enemies of God, and let's put our head on their necks, and let's rule. Yeah, let's be the kingdom of God. That's not love. Love says we want the kingdom of God to rule because when it does, people will love each other and they'll be kind to each other and the world will be at peace. Because you want that for your neighbor. Not just for you so you can be in charge. This is where the, the disciples went wrong. They're like, when the kingdom of God comes, am I going to be like first or second? Like, I'm not really sure here. And he's like looking at them like, really? Because what? Because they weren't speaking from a place of love. I don't even mean that we need to be other focused. You know, we could have a lesson on how to put others first. You won't, you don't need a lesson on that. If you love them, what will you do? These things will happen in us. They will be the fruit of what Jesus is talking about. But doing these things, being kingdom mind or other focused is not what he means when he says abide in me. Let me try to help us understand it. Do you know how we behave different when certain people are around? Does anybody ever have this? You have a visitor that comes to your house or whatever. We, we have Ryan in our house. We're trying to behave. Did you get, Ryan may not know this, but we're trying to behave ourselves because Ryan's in our house, you know. We have to like go off in the other room and have conversations like, what is he going to, you know, I mean, come on guys. I mean, you know, Ryan's watching the fact that we're treating each other bad and like we got to straighten up. Does anybody ever act different around other people? Ryan, you may not. You do, Ryan? Have you been acting different while you're around us? I just thought you were just all sweet and nice. Actually, I called your mom. She told me everything, so I did not call your mom. 
you can feel safe right now. We still think he's really nice. By the way, if you don't know Ryan, get to know him. He's really nice. But we behave, you know, when a highway patrolman, okay, this is how I behave differently. When a highway patrolman slides up behind me, I start behaving differently. Has this ever happened to you? Elder Kuzel. He, he, he came up on a sheriff on the way here and instantly he com- the law of God was applied immediately to his life, right? Hallelujah. Right? You want to make sure you're going the right speed. In fact, I sometimes, you know, they'll pull up behind me and, and I start like swerving because I'm looking back and like, he's a drunk driver, you know. And, and, and I want to behave so good that I do what? That I behave bad, right? This is not what it means to abide in God. To think he's watching you, like he's going to get you. Like, did you know God? And I'm telling we, we do use these things, and even the, even the Bible mentions these things, but I don't think it was meant to be like this. Did you know God sees how you're talking to your mother? You know? That's not what abiding in the vine means, knowing that he's there, he's watching you. I could never do anything well when my dad was watching I was always worried about what he was thinking, about what I was doing, and then I, I, I just couldn't do it. And I think that when we live like this, when that's our inspiration, I think we don't do well. I think we live, I think we live like someone's watching and we really don't do well. To abide in Him, to live in God means that our life is drawing all we need from Him. You know, as your pastor... I try to bear the burdens of the congregation, to care about you, to think about you, to worry about what's going on in this family, going on in that family, going on in the other. And you know, in the end, you know what I do? I just go, I'm a bad pastor. Like, my church isn't even that big, and I can't remember what's going on in your lives. I can't remember what things you've suffered through. I, I can't remember to check on you, you know? And you know, what? you know what God says to me, Benita? You know, I love those people. How about if you abide in me? How about if you spend time praying? In the Word. Maybe write their names down. Pray for them. Maybe I'll bring to your mind what you need to do. Maybe I'll give you the gift. But we don't want that. We're like, no, I'm going to be the good pastor. I'm going to be the smart pastor. I'm going to read everything there is to know about Lyme's disease. I did it. Woo! But if I don't love Thomas and if I don't love the Ratliffs, what's the point? God sees what no man could ever see. He sees our heart. He offers us grace no one could offer us. His loving kindness has no bounds. Abide in Him. Commune with Him. Seek Him. When we suffer because what we think others are thinking about us, we're not abiding in Him. Now I'm going to do a little bit of pastoring here before I move on. I'm telling you, I've seen this in our congregation and it is painful to see. When we long for and we work for the approval of others, even your mom and dad. When we want others to be pleased with us or to like us, do you know that's not abiding with Christ? Paul said it this way, if I seek to please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. Abby, do you know that Jesus is watching you and he loves you? And it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. This is hard for us, right? We're always sitting there, we're thinking, you know, Andy, like, did they know I memorized a thousand points of pie? I know. He hates it when I bring it up, right? I'm trying to think of something equally stupid I did that I could bring up instead, but I can't. I really can't think of anything. I can't think of anything dumb as that. 
This is why young men are always driven to competition. Because of what? They're worrying about what? Are they worrying about what God thinks of them? Or are they worrying about what? They're worrying about what other people think of them. They want to be the best. They want to be the smartest. They want to have the coolest this or the coolest that or the most successful this. They compete. Young women become obsessed with their bodies, with their image. Because they're thinking about what do people think of me? What are they looking at me? What do they think of me? And they're not doing what? Do you know God doesn't, isn't focused like that? You know, even my wife, you know, she, if she's focusing, focusing on me, which is good, but what would be better? If she said, I want to please God. You know, my husband, he's forgetful and he's crazy and he's all the things that I am. Okay, maybe we can go down that route. He's working on 400 projects and he can't keep this going on and he makes a mess everywhere he goes. All right, I'm just going to love God. Do you know, if she focuses on pleasing God, guess what, guys? She's going to do right. You can't please everybody. You can't please your husband, your wife, your children. You know what? I would love for my children to like me. And, and, and honestly, that's a, that's a temptation I have. I like people to like. I want you to like me. But in the end, if that's the life I live, you know what? You're, you're not going to end up respecting me. I'm not going to be a good pastor. If you try to be your kids' friends and make, for them to think you're cool, Steve, guess what? You're doing them a disservice. Say, you know what, family, I, I want to please the Lord. I'd, I'd love it if you liked me along the way, but if not, too bad. He's my master. He's my savior. He's who is never going to leave me. You guys are going to go off and marry people probably and move somewhere else or whatever. You'll probably move all the way to, you know, Darbydale. The life of comparing yourselves among yourselves is a lonely, painful life devoid of love. Love grows in us when we abide in Him. Love grows when we look into God's Word, when He proves us, when He takes out the dead and fruitless parts of our life. When the life of Christ, the sap of our existence, runs free, love grows. That's how we become love vines. How many of you want to be love vines? I do. I've suffered many days of my life feeling like I did not measure up to what other people's thought I should be or what they are. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be loved. But when you turn from that and you seek to please the Lord and live in Him before Him, the love and the friendship and the approval, love will begin to grow in you. You will have that love for yourself, but you'll also have it for the people around you too. Abide in Him and He in you and all that you ever want or need will come to you and through you. Verse 5 of John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in Him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. I love this. Not only do we become love vines, but we become love vines with much love. Everybody say, much love. Steve told me he had much love for me the other day. We... We had a, a silly text exchange competing. And I said, I'm, I'm going to win because I'm writing a sermon on love. So I love you more than you love me. So if, you're not, if you don't ever get in these kind of, you know, sorry. Sorry to include you in on that. An abundance of love. Without him, it's not harder. It's not less fruitful. Without him, we're completely barren. 
See, sometimes we think we need God to help us. No, no, no. He does it all. It's not just harder. It's impossible. Man is totally without the ability to produce this kind of love. That's why God's Word calls it the fruit of the Spirit. It's not that we need God's help. It's that all this fruit, the fruit we want, comes from God alone. I'm going to read a few more verses here. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. You know, that's a real nice benefit to abiding in God, that your prayers will be answered. How many want your prayers to be answered? God is saying, you know, if you're talking to me every day, if you're living in me, if the the, the sap of my life is flowing through you, it's like, you know, and I don't want to compare God to man in, in a wrong way here, but, you know... If I'm talking to Steve and and I'm loving Steve, then when I want something from Steve, it's a natural thing, right? It's It's not like, oh, Mark only calls me when he needs something, right? I don't want to treat God like that. I don't want to, I don't want God to be my store that I go to. You'll see, Jesus says, he says, he says in this passage, he said, I want you, I want to call you my friends. He's talking about abiding friendship, about constant, the constant source of communion with Him. That's what, that's what He's offering us here. Verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. And the Father hath loved me. This is where He starts talking about love. And I love you. And you continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Do you hear, do you hear, what, do you hear a common word here? Even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in His love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Where's the joy coming from? The joy is coming from the the love. Joy is great, but joy out of context is nothing. Joy that comes from love, now that's abiding joy, amen? This is my commandment, verse 12. This is what we were reading from 1 John. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He said, you're my friends. I mean, Jeff, don't you love that? Could you imagine the Son of God looking at you and go, you're my friends. I'm feeling it. You're my friends. Verse 15, henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what the Lord does. But I call you my friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I've made known unto you. He sums it up with this powerful thing that is so Calvinistic and so powerful that it should whack us in the head. He said, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. I mean, he's already told them, if they're not him, they're not going to do anything. They can't do anything. They can't prune themselves. They're not, they can't grow anything. There's nothing they can do. There's a, a lot of nothing going on in, in chapter 15, right? And he says this. He says, you, not only can't you do these things, you didn't even choose me. 
You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that the fruit should remain, and that whatsoever you shall ask of my Father in my name, he shall give it to you. These things I command you, he says in verse 17, that you love one another. Love is the gateway fruit. It doesn't come by practice. It doesn't come by going, all right, I need to be more loving. All right, I need to care more. Okay, kids, you're not loving each other. What's wrong with you? We need to be leading them to the source of love, and it is Christ alone. Amen? The best thing, I've heard, I've heard this saying, and, I, and, I, and, and it's not true, but it sounds good. The best thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. I've heard that, right? The best thing a father can do is to love his God. And if he loves his God and he abides in him, he's going to what? He's going to love their mother. And if he is abiding in God and, he, and God gives him that love, he's going to love them too. And the best thing that we can pass on to our children isn't a love that we have to give. It's a love, Andy, that we've got to go to the sap, to the source. And, and that's what God's calling us. He's calling us into prayer. He's calling us into communion with Him and abiding in Him. And I know we're unemotional Presbyterians and all like that. But John 15 doesn't sound so much like that to me. It sounds like God wants to be friends. You know how to be friends with your kids. You know how to be friends with other people. What do you do? You talk to them. You share with them your needs, your pains, your hurts. Oh God, Lord, I know you love me. So maybe the best thing we can do when we're sideways is not do more good deeds, but go to the one who has done good deeds with our desperation, with our anguish, with our failures, casting all of our cares on him because he cares for us. Let us pray. Lord, in one sense, this message is a message of desperation and helplessness. And I guess it could stay there if you hadn't answered all of these things for us. Lord, I know that I have tried to be good. I've tried to teach my children how to love. I've tried to learn how to love. And instead of going to you for the love that just grows in me through you. Lord, I have busied myself with pointless labor, with anguish, with worry, with effort. And Lord, I'm ready to give up today. I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to be your friend. Lord, you've offered me friendship and love and communion, and I have been friends with everyone and everything, and not so much with you. Lord God, may we be a people who commune with the Lord, who love him, who abide in him. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said? Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.